we are in our fourth week of our Promised Land series, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, that was awesome. I liked that, that video was great, and everything. The little uh, happy interruption for our normal, our normal. Uh, what do you call it? Program, whatever it is. I, I like it. Well, last Sunday I heard a word from the Lord before I started speaking. And that word was slow down uh, with this message. What I thought was going to be a three-point message last Sunday, uh, I slowed down. I heard the Lord and I said, yes, sir. And I barely got through the first point. So that was, that was cool. So today I'm going to jump in on the second point. And, and so, so the whole point of this message, the whole heart behind this promised land message is we as believers are called individually, communally, as a church and as the body of Christ to great things. You could call it a promised land. We are called to do great things, to live abundantly, not even only enough for ourselves, but enough to be able to be that miracle for somebody else who's praying. I mean, to, 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 to be able to give abundantly to need, have more than enough for ourselves, uh, to, to be able to reach, like we, we have our global partners, to be a part of reaching across the world with the gospel of Jesus and, 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 and feeding the hungry. Uh, serving the people at the homeless ministry down on, on Main Street. This is the things we're called to do. And when we are walking in these things excellently, it is like entering into the promised land. The same thing the children of Israel did 40 years after they left Egypt. But out of that 1 million plus people that exited Egypt, only two entered the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, what set these two leaders apart from over 1.2-ish million people. That's a lot of people. Out of 1.2 million-something people, there were two men that stood apart, two men that entered their promised land. What made them different? Last week, we talked about the first thing that made them different. They knew the report of the Lord. So I'm not going to stay on this long. I'm going to give you one review note from last week's message. So if you want the rest of it, it was really good. Go back and listen to the podcast. Go back and watch the live stream. Uh, and I can say that was really good because the two weeks before, I did not personally feel great about those messages when they were done. Sometimes we get insecure pastoring. Sometimes pastors get that. I don't think that was a very good thing afterwards. Last week, though, I was like, that was good. So go back and listen to that one, right? Here's the one review note I'm going to give you. Joshua and Caleb knew the report of the Lord 40 years. Well, it wasn't quite 40 years. This was the first time they were on the edge of the promised land. Years before, God had spoken to Moses, and Moses told all the children of Israel this same report. It's from Exodus chapter 4 from the burning bush. This is, remember, without internet, without Google, without any type of digital assistant. They couldn't check on what the Lord said and see if it was true. They just had to believe. He said, I'm sending you to a land flowing with milk and honey. When they got to the promised land, the spies came back and they said, check. It had milk and honey. Remember, they couldn't check on that first. None of them had been there to say, oh, yeah, I've been there. There's milk and honey. No, they just went. They get there, and that should have built their faith up. God said there was milk and honey. There was milk and honey. And then God said this. These are the people who live there. And he named them. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and all, there was five, four or five different nations God named. He said they are living there right now. So when the spies got there, they said, check. 
That's the people who are living here. It's the exact people God said. So they had the first two parts down. Yes, there's milk and honey. Yes, these people are living there. The third part of God's report to Moses was when you see that, enter the land and take it. I've given it to you. But that is where Joshua and Caleb became set apart from the rest of these people because the rest of them said, yes, there's milk and honey. Yes, these are the people that live there. However, we can't take it. They are too strong. That's a different report than what God said. But Joshua and Caleb stepped in and Caleb was the first to say, no, 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 forget about it. Forget that they're giants. Remember that God said he's given us this land. It doesn't matter if they're giants. It doesn't matter if there's more of them than there are of us. God's report was we can take it. There's so many of us that remember part of God's report, but not the whole report. Remember, Jesus told us in this world, you will have trouble. So a lot of us say, oh, yeah, I can relate. Can you relate to that report? In this world, you will have trouble. Have you had trouble? I'll tell you, I knew this service was going to be a good service for two reasons this morning. Number one is the report of the Lord is that this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. That was the first reason I knew today was going to be a great day. The second reason I knew today was going to be a great day, because when we all got here at about 7.30, nothing went right until about 10.30 this morning when church started. We have new check-in stations for the kids. Three check-in stations. One of them kind of worked. Two of them didn't work at all. The sound system wasn't working right. The bathroom door in the module was locked from the inside, and I had to sit there and pick it, and I had to use the restroom. And I wasn't going to come down here. I was going to use that one. So that took some time. And then Brittany started making coffee. There was no coffee here. There, it was, there was so many things that went wrong. I thought to myself, this is going to be a good day. And my first thought was, it's only up from here. And then my second thought is, wait a minute, what am I preaching on today? This is going to be a good day because the report of the Lord is this the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. The Jesus gave us a report. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, the check-in stations might not work. In this world, you'll be late for work one day and then there'll be even more traffic. And you will think, I used this excuse with my boss yesterday. He's not going to believe it again today, right? There will be trouble in this world. And sometimes our trouble is way bigger than a check-in station that doesn't work or traffic. Sometimes trouble is a bad doctor's report. Sometimes trouble is, is people uh, that we love. We see them going down a wrong path and there's evidently nothing we can do about it because we've tried everything. Sometimes trouble in this world looks like a layoff. Sometimes trouble in this world looks like Christmas is coming up and we're still trying to figure out how to pay last month's bills, right? Trouble in this world looks like a lot of things. Jesus told us we'll have trouble. But what was the rest of his report? But fear not, I've given you my peace and I've overcome the world. Do you remember one part of the report and then forget the second part? Because Joshua and Caleb remembered all three parts. They were three for three. Two for three is not good enough. Three for three is better and we have no excuse. Joshua and Caleb had a portion of God's full report written down in this type of manner. We have the full report at our beck and call every moment of the day. We have the full report on our phones. We have it on our iPads. We have it on our bookshelves. Hopefully they're not gathering dust, right? 
I love Andrew Walmack's story that he sat a, a, a teacup one day down on, on somebody's Bible in their house and he was doing some ministry and this lady looked over and she was so mad. She goes, get your cup off of the Bible. We don't use the Bible as a, as a cup stand. And he said, I, I can't think of the word, cup stand, uh, coaster. We don't use the Bible as a coaster. And he said he reached over and he picked his cup up and there was a dust ring from the years and years. The Bible sat there unopened and he said, this person doesn't understand how to respect and honor the report of the Lord. It's one thing to honor a, a, a Bible. This is just paper, right? This is just paper and ink and, and some leather and some of us not even leather anymore, right? It, it's just a book. But when we read it, when we understand it, when we put it in our heart, it becomes alive and the report of the Lord becomes alive. And then once we know it, once we know it, that is step one in being like Joshua and Caleb set apart from an entire generation. Paul said in Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, he said, and this is my paraphrasing, right? But I'm telling you, this is what he was saying. So, well, I can tell you the exact verse. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The interpretation of that, if it sounds a little fancy, is if you don't renew your mind to the report of the Lord, your mind will default to thinking and acting just like this world. That's some reason is our default as humans. If you watch the news and you get just as freaked out as everybody else, then the news has more of a effect on your life than the report of the Lord. You got to step one, you got to know it. Joshua and Caleb knew it. And out of 1.2 something million people, they may have been the only two. They were definitely the only two of those 12 spies that knew it. 40 years later, Rahab said to them, as they entered the promised land, she said, when y'all got here 40 years ago, we were terrified. We knew that God had given you this land. If they had just walked in, even the people that were living in that land knew we don't stand a chance. You got to know the report of the Lord. All, every time I say it, too, I think about that old Alvin Slaughter song. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of... Remember that one? His report says... Somebody knows it. His report says... Uh-huh. His report says I am free. His report says victory. Come on. We could just sing it again. We could just sing that over and over again. But here's part two. You got to know the report of the Lord. And then here's something else that set Joshua and Caleb aside as different. They then, after knowing it, didn't hold it in. They declared it. Even when people thought they were crazy, they declared the report of the Lord. Even when 10 out of 12 people said, these guys are wrong, we can't take it. They took a stand and said, yes, we can. When 10 people are telling you no, but the report of the Lord is saying yes, you better still be declaring the report of the Lord. And I can tell you in my own life, and maybe you'll relate to this, there have been times I haven't out loud declared the report of the Lord because I am a very polite person. I'm polite. 
I'll hold the door for a lady. I will shake a guy's hand with a firm handshake. I'm not going to hand you a dead fish. And, and, and that's so gross, right? I am going to have my house clean when you show up. I'm probably going to cut the grass. I still say, yes, ma'am. I still say, yes, sir. And when my kids don't say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, I can promise you they hear about it. I've taken away video games and social activities because I didn't hear a yes, sir, or a yes, ma'am. I'm very polite, but I have been a little too polite when it comes to declaring the report of the Lord in the past because the entire world, it seems like, keeps saying things that are further and further away from what the Lord says and from what the Word says. And I have found myself being more likely in my flesh to want to back down and just say, well, maybe I'll just live undercover in this area when we are not called to live undercover. We have known that since Sunday school. We have a light. We got to let it shine. Are we going to hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. That's the Sunday school nursery rhyme that we need to live by a little bit more than ever right now. We got to take that light out from under the bushel and we got to let it shine bright. And it's got to shine brighter than ever because there's going to be 10 people around you saying, no, that is not the way. But we got to be the light in the middle saying, yes, it is. Yes, this is the way. This is the report of the Lord. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People will just receive almost any report they hear if you want to be honest. I don't know if y'all remember this, but about three years ago, no, it was, we were still living in Charlotte. So probably about five or six years ago, there was a hurricane coming through. And I'm telling you, it was the most angry I've ever been at a news report. I was running at the gym and the news report this is what it said. World's first nuclear hurricane hovering over the Atlantic. That is a series of impossibilities that makes zero sense whatsoever. Nuclear hurricane is not a thing. That doesn't exist. It cannot exist. What they were saying was that this hurricane is so big, it could cause the amount of damage that a nuclear blast or something could explode. What they were really doing was trying to peddle so much fear into whoever saw it that they wouldn't change the channel. They'd keep it right there to find out how this nuclear hurricane, and by the way, the world's first nuclear hurricane, they would have got that part right if it had been a nuclear hurricane, the world's first nuclear hurricane. Well, that same day, I was having some car trouble. So me and my father-in-law went to Little's Hardware on the west side of Charlotte and we got there there was a line two or three miles long of people trying to fill their propane tanks because you know what that nuclear hurricane was gonna knock out all the power so everybody was gonna use propane I guess to, to for their grills for whatever and I gotta be honest in my flesh I thought well there's no such thing as a nuclear hurricane but maybe we should get some propane my father-in-law said what are you gonna do with it nothing in your house runs off propane like <laughs> What are you going to do with that propane? I didn't know. But let me just tell you something. I was about one thought away from jumping in the back of that line and getting some propane for no reason. My father-in-law looked at me and he says, you're going to be all right, boy. You don't got to worry about a hurricane. You're fine. And in that moment, he didn't even have to say anything else. I completely felt fine. There was a moment I bought into that report, right? Maybe not the nuclear hurricane side of it, but I bought into the report that if I don't get some propane, I'm in trouble. My father-in-law with one sentence helped me feel at ease. 
And that report reminded me of the report of the Lord, that no matter what happens with the hurricane, he's going to take care of me. Then I started thinking about 1989. Hurricane Hugo came through Gastonia. I know that was rough and, and there was a loss of life, so I'm not downgrading anything like that that happened. But I can tell you, our house personally, we turned the fallen tree into a fort. We didn't have power for a few days. And as an adult, I only remember that week extremely fondly. It was great. We had so much fun, right? So again, I'm not downplaying some of the really bad stuff that happened, but personally, the Lord took care of us and our family during that hurricane in 1989, and it was actually fun. I started thinking about that, and I was like, man, maybe we'll have some trees down. Maybe me and Judy can build a little fort. This will be great, right? Well, the hurricane didn't even come through. It was a little bit of rain, and we were fine. So nuclear hurricane avoided. Well, these children of Israel were on the edge of the promised land, and the ten spies basically came back and said, there's a nuclear hurricane in the promised land. They're giants, and we can't take it. I'm going to read you Joshua's response in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 10. Two of the men who had explored the land, let's just go ahead and say this too, they're the only two of these 12 spies whose names we even know at all now. That should tell you a little bit of something about what set them apart and how just how set apart they were. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephuniah, tore their clothing. That was a sign of repentance. They were repenting for stuff their brothers were saying. And they said, to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. It's not coincidence that the only two who declared the report of the Lord were the two that walked in when a million other people are saying one thing. Rise to the top. Take your light out from under the bushel. Let it shine. And you might have to get a little bit rude. If you're a polite person, get past your flesh. That's my flesh that says, hold it in. That's my flesh that says, don't cause a stir. That's my flesh that says, avoid confrontation. That's my flesh that says, just fit in. That's my flesh. Get the flesh out of the way. Burn it all up and let that light shine. Not only did they think they were crazy, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then, then they were going to kill him. They wanted to stone them to death for being positive, for telling them the full report of the Lord. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. That shut them down fast. Just let me tell you, when the glory of God shows up in your life, when the glory of God shows up in your life and everybody around you won't be able to help but see it, that's going to shut them down real fast. When they see the report of the Lord working in your life and they see the entire world going a different direction, it will shut the haters down fast. Shut the haters down. My daughter says things like that. I probably shouldn't have. It sounds dumb coming out of an almost... 40-year-old person's mouth. <laughs> Declare the report of the Lord when people think you're crazy. Declare it when it seems rude. Matthew chapter 11, 12, this is the words of Jesus. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. 
John the Baptist was not very polite. In fact, it got his head chopped off in the end. Uh, until then, he very unpolitely stood in the desert in clothes that weren't very cool, ate whatever came his way, and he screamed and declared the report of the Lord and cleared a path for the greatest gift any of us have ever been given, which was salvation himself walking through the streets. A couple Christmases ago, Judah wanted a Cristiano Ronaldo jersey. They're kind of hard to find, so I went online and found this red. He's a soccer player, if you don't know who that is. Found this red Cristiano Ronaldo jersey. It was awesome. It's all he wanted. And we went to my grandmother's house on Christmas Day. My uncle bought his dog, who's a very sweet dog. Uh, he's not violent, but he sure likes to play, and he's real big. Him and Judah were throwing a ball in the backyard, and he thought he was grabbing the ball from Judah, and he ended up just grabbing Judah right under his arm, right in his armpit, like biting him hard. And, and he was latched on, thinking that him and Judah were just playing. And there was, there was blood, and it was a little bit violent. And I'm telling you, Lisa did not stand around very politely, saying to my uncle or my aunt, uh, excuse me, would you please go maybe get your dog off of my son? It, it looks bad. It looks like I've seen some blood. No, Lisa went into actual beast mode. She jumped off of a deck that must have been 30 feet high. I mean, she jumped off this deck. She landed on her feet. I think I saw like a barrel roll. She jumps over. She grabs the ball that was right beside Judah, that little Petey big Pete. He thought he was going for. I think she threw the ball. She grabbed the dog. He un, unlatched and, and ran after the dog. And Lisa grabbed Judah and brought him inside. And Judah was, there's a lot of blood, but let me just tell you, it was most sad about that Cristiano Ronaldo jersey. Had uh, teeth marks through it. And by the end of the week, he had been given like four other ones because everybody felt bad for him. And he, he racked up on Ronaldo jerseys <laughs> after that. I think, honestly, Judah might consider that a fair trade at this point in his life. But what I'm trying to tell you, and my point is Lisa didn't worry about being polite when there was a potential life or death situation happening. And we might think of, uh, of, of any other report. We might think that, you know, well, I, I'm not going to declare what the Lord says right now because I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to offend that person. I don't want to offend this group of people. I just want to blend in. Let me tell you, if you don't see this as a life or death situation, it's time you see things as life or death because there is a path of sin that leads to death. But there is also a path of life and godliness that leads to life and abundant life. And if our politeness is what's stopping us from telling somebody the good news about Jesus. I'm not talking about going out and correcting people's sin and, and being like the guy on the street that says, repent, the end is near. No, I'm talking about going up to people and telling them no matter what, you are loved. You are beloved. There is a Savior who loves you, who died from you, who, who died for you. Not, not, not me, I'm too bad. No, you're not too bad. He loved you. He knew you before time began. He saw you as he stretched his arms out on that cross, knowing full well who you you were, what you were going to be doing, and he died for you. And there is a way that leads to life. There is a way that leads to life. And too many times we've been a little polite and people keep walking down the path that leads to death. Jerry was telling me a story. Jerry was the last of these folks that prayed for us, if you don't know Jerry. 
telling me a story, uh, I, I believe it was about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. He's got a glass company. He repairs glass and replaces glass in people's homes and businesses. And there was a lady who uh, I believe she, she opened up and said she had cancer. And Jerry, if you ever talked to Jerry and said anything to the nature of, uh, I have cancer or I have a cold, Jerry will be quick to correct you. You don't have any of that. That is not yours. That does not belong to you. That belongs in the grave. You have healing. You have life, right? Or, or, so don't, if, I'm just saying, if you're ever talking to Jerry, even if you just casually want to tell him you're not feeling good, just say, uh, I, I, I'm experiencing the symptoms of a cold, Jerry. <laughs> just explain it to him that way. If you don't want a hearty rebuke, right? Well, Jerry, in a very loving way, I wasn't there, but I can tell you it was loving because I know Jerry. He explained to this lady, that's not your cancer. That is not your cancer. That does not belong to you. Are you a Christian? I believe she said yes. And he boldly said, can I pray with you? I think if I remember the story right, Jerry might have to correct some details. But if I'm getting real wrong, just raise your hand. Tell me I'm really wrong. If I remember it right, she, her daughter was also there. And her daughter kind of was like, leave my mom alone. Like, like we're not doing this right now. It was one of those things. I think she even said, you're upsetting my daughter, you know, whatever. But months later, Months later, Jerry's back on the job. She didn't fire him, evidently. He got to go back and finish the job. And she said, I need to tell you something. Uh, I'm completely cancer free. And she told him it's because of you. It's because we prayed. It's because you boldly made her mad or at least made her daughter mad. But there was a good report. There was healing that was experienced because he didn't sit around and wait for the polite thing. But violently, he entered that moment and said, wait wait, this is not the Lord. I don't want to stand around anymore and let people die physically or spiritually. Let's get that light out from under that bushel, whether it is rude, polite, uh, violent, or whatever. Get that light out from under that bushel. And, and the violent, I don't mean violence like in the streets, looting and things like that, violent. That's not what that means. And that's not what I mean. Really, all what this is saying is sometimes is not, it's not always the right time to stand around politely and fit in quietly into society. It's time to stand up. It's time to let our light shine. And I got a friend who's, uh, we, it's a big friend group, right? And it's a worship leader and pretty well-known guy now. And he started, this is, what I, this is the way a friend of mine described what he was doing during COVID especially. He is inserting himself into situations where he doesn't belong. I, I just, I'm not going to tell you names, but just so you know, he's popping up on the news because he's doing worship events in, in the middle of, of times of shutdown. And he was uh, talking about all kinds of things. And people were saying, this guy's a worship leader. What is he doing inserting himself into all these situations, talking about things he has no business talking about? Well, before long, my friend sent me a picture of him in the Oval Office laying hands on the president, praying for him. And I started talking to my friends who would bring his name up and say, what is he doing inserting himself into these conversations? I said, well, laying hands on the person that has the most power in the entire world and praying for them in the spirit. That's what he's doing. And are we doing that? Because if not, maybe we need to insert ourselves into some conversations where we don't have any business being in. But here's the truth. 
We have the creator of the universe who has the solution to every problem out there on the inside of him, which means it's on the inside of you. The church, the people of the church, the Christian community should be the people leading the way on any type of solution that this world needs. It's on the inside of us. The one who created it all and knows how it all works is on the inside of every one of us. It's time for the church to lead the way. You know, the church used to run the prison system in the U.S. The church used to run the public school system in the U.S. And it had a much larger hand in Hollywood and entertainment than it does right now. The prison system and the public school system, neither one are run by the church anymore. We stepped aside. But it's all right. That just means it's time to step back up. And I can't stand up here and tell you, and here's how you're going to do it. Here's the 10-step program. No, you just got to be led by the Holy Spirit in every moment. It's going to start in your own heart with your own decisions starting from right now. It's going to start with a decision at lunch today when your waitress or your waiter opens up just for a moment and says, yeah, you know, I've had a bad day. And instead of just saying, man, I hope their day gets better. No, you're going to say, well, you know, before I leave, can I pray with you? The worst they can say is no. And then you're going to leave them the biggest tip they've ever gotten, right? No more of that little 3% stuff. Do a 100% tip. Like somebody today, leave a 100% tip, all right? Uh, do that. And also pray for them. When somebody opens a door, even a little bit, push that thing open and walk through, right? Jesus did that. Jesus did that. The worst somebody can say is, no, I don't want you to pray for me right now. That's the worst. The best thing is she might show up three months later and say, hey, that cancer that I told you I had is gone. That's awesome. My friends Jonathan and Keely are here, and a couple years ago, we did a treasure hunt on the campus of App State. If you don't know what a treasure hunt is, you get together with your friends, you pray, you ask God to show you things and in, uh, situations, people that you'll see that day. You, the plan is for the next three, four hours, we walk across the campus and, and we look for the things that God told us in that meeting. So an example uh, was that particular morning, Jonathan might remember this, uh, I was praying and I said, the Lord just showed me a, a, a man with a fedora on, a feather in that fedora, and I just need to find that guy and pray for him. And Jonathan was on the other side of the room looking out the window. He goes, hey, like that guy? And there was a guy skateboarding past the room we were in with a fedora and a feather sticking out of it. I'd never seen him before, so I ran out and he was gone. I just, I, I knew the Lord would open a door to find him later, right? So we're in a uh, coffee shop and I see this guy maybe four or five hours later. And I said, hey, man, the, God told me that I needed to pray with you today. And he looked at me and he says, oh, the universe knew that I needed somebody. And I said, no, it wasn't the universe. It was God. It was Jesus. Jesus told me that I needed to find you and pray with you. He said, the universe told Jesus to tell you. And I said, no, <laughs> Jesus uh, told me to pray with you. And then the Holy Spirit said, his mom has cancer. She lives in Alabama. And I said, so I said, well, here's what he wants me to pray about. Your mom lives in Alabama. She has cancer. This dude's eyes just welled up and he started crying. He goes, yes. And I said, let's pray for your mom right now. So we prayed for his mom. We rebuked cancer. I prayed with him. And one more time, he tells me, oh, I'm so glad the universe sent you my way today. I said, listen, man, Jesus sent me to you. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? And we got to talk about that. That was very specific. And you know what the polite thing would have been? Yeah, man, great. The universe sent, you, sent me your way today. But no, he needed to know Jesus is the Savior who loves. Jesus is the Savior who knows what we need 
before we do. You are filled with the Holy Spirit and he knows what this world needs better than this world knows what they need. He knows what your waitress and waiter needs today before they know what they need. The Holy Spirit knows what your kids need before they know and before you know. And that's a word for somebody, whether it's a baby or, or an adult child, adult kid. You're praying, saying, Lord, give me an answer. He's saying, I've got it. I'm going to give it to you. You've got it right now. And he's going to even show you how to communicate what they need to hear, what you need to say to them. And then if you think, well, I can't say that, they'll get mad. You better, if he says to say it, just say it. Yeah. It's not up to you to decide whether they receive it or not. It's just up to you to give it. Jesus made a lot of people mad. The Apostle Paul made a lot of people mad, right? When was the last time you made somebody mad? About three or four months after, after Lisa and I started pastoring the church, we were standing with uh, Andrew Womack, who's a minister, if you haven't heard of him. And he's, he's been at this thing for a long time. And he said, well, how's it been going? And I said, well, it's been three months. Nobody hates us. Nobody's mad at us. I think that's pretty good. He goes, well, that's not a sign of things going good or bad. And just give it time. People are going to hate you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> he was right. He was right. Just this week, Lisa and I had a conversation. She said, this person, said, this person just completely wrote us off. He acted like we were just the lowest of the low scum. I thought, as a husband, I'd be very comforting to Lisa, who was upset by this. And I said, Lisa, I promise you he's not the only person. A lot of people probably think we're nothing. There's a lot of people out there that think we're scum. There's a lot of people out there that hate us. I said, there might be blogs out there about how horrible of a people we are. I said, he just happened to say it out loud. Like, at least you know where he stands. She said, that doesn't make me feel better at all. It makes me feel better. The point is, you're not going to be able to control that stuff. And whether you are speaking the words of life or just existing, there are going to be people that find you not the greatest thing in the world. Not everybody's going to think you're the stuff. And that's all right. That's all right. Jesus was the best preacher ever to live. And one day he drove a multitude of people away. And there was only 12 left. I mean, come on. We're not going to do better than him. <laughs> we, are. we are. He said, you'll do better things. Actually, we are. Lisa's right. He said, you'll do even greater things than I did. He did say that. Thank you. I'm glad you corrected that. We don't have to edit it out of the podcast. <laughs> edit the heresy out of the podcast. No, it got fixed before we stopped recording. Here's how we're wrapping this up. The band can go ahead and head back up. We're going to worship. But before we worship, uh, before we step into responding to the Lord, I just want to remind you of these two things. We got one more thing we're going to talk about next week. But the two things that separated Joshua and Caleb from over 1.2 million other people. Two of the three reasons they entered their promised land while everybody else, do you realize the generation, I mean, if I said this last week, if you didn't know this or hear this last week, I'm going to say it again to make sure you hear it. The generation that left Egypt, those 1.2 million something people, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that entered the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. It was a brand new generation that they led in. 
There was more than two people that went in, but Joshua and Caleb were the only two who left Egypt and entered the promised land. If you're wondering about Moses, he didn't get to go in either. It was only Joshua and Caleb. And what set them apart? They knew the report of the Lord. Question, do you know the report of the Lord? And do you know all of it? Because we all say, yeah, I've seen that trouble. But do you know the rest that says, you have peace? He's overcome the world. Do you know the report that says, weapons will be formed against you, Isaiah 54, 17. But here's the rest, they won't prosper. No kingdom raised against you shall stand. Do you know the report of the Lord? Your body might say I'm sick, but 1 Peter 2.24 says, By the stripes of Jesus you are healed. I love that Will, when he was leading worship earlier, by the way, how many of you thought that was Austin leading worship? You thought, I think you thought I said awesome. No, I said Austin. Did you think that was Austin? Him and Will look a lot alike. How many of you are just now like, wait, that was Will up there today, not Austin? It was awesome though. So that was good. Uh, I love while Will was leading worship, he said, how many of you, your bodies say one thing, but we're just gonna lift our voices. We're just gonna praise. And that garment of praise is gonna start telling our body a different story. A garment of praise is gonna start telling our body. You might feel one way, but the word says, the report is you are healed. Your mind might be telling you, I got fear, I got anxiety, but the report of the Lord is you have not been given a spirit of fear. That stuff's on the outside coming in, but what's on the inside is power, love, and a sound mind. I'm going to pull a Jerry and say, stop saying my fear. Stop saying my anxiety. It does not belong to you. What belongs to you is power, love, and a sound mind. That fear and anxiety are outside attacks. Let what's on the inside rise up by knowing the report of the Lord. And then the second thing, declare it out loud with your mouth in the middle of the attack. Even if you got to do it with a shaking voice, right? Take yourself out of a moment, right? Go somewhere alone, get into a prayer closet. That's a good old fashioned term, right? And declare the report of the Lord. This is not my anxiety. My, what belongs to me is power, love, and a sound mind. This is not my sickness. I have been healed by the blood of Jesus. Come on, that is such good news. What set them apart? They knew the report. They declared the report. Let's be like Joshua and Caleb. And next Sunday, we'll talk about the third thing. Very excited about that. It's going to be awesome. And I'm telling you, we have a chance to be set free from walking around the wilderness, lost, wondering, not having a home, not having a place to lay our head, not understanding who we are in Christ or who God is. That's the wilderness. We can step into our promised land and it starts with knowing his report and declaring it, even when people think you're crazy, even when it might seem a little rude. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit is leading, when he's leading you, it's gonna be the right moment. It's gonna be the right moment. It's gonna be the right time. He'll open doors. And then it's up to anybody else to receive it or reject it. You're the delivery person. That's what you are. That's what I am. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand together. We're going to respond with just a few moments of worship. 
After we worship, I'm going to call up our prayer ministers and we will close. Some of you can come get prayer if you'd like and some will make their way out. But I do want to say this. Love you guys so much. Lisa and I can speak for Lisa here. We love pastoring Freedom Church Gastonia. We love being your pastors. This is not something that we do out of duty or this is not something we do uh, loathingly. We love pastoring this church and we love being a part of y'all's lives and we feel appreciated uh, even on more than just days like this. But thank y'all so much for everything that you've said and done for us. We appreciate that as well. And, and we love y'all, right? Thank you, Jesus. Let's respond to the word with worship and then I'll come back up and we'll close.